Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I am your host. This week's episode, episode 50, time is just like flying. I can't believe we're on the 50th episode. And it's with a phenomenal lady um, called Tamsin Jones. If I can reflect on 2020 and sum it up in one word, like the word for my life in 2020, it was a year of connection. And I built such meaningful friendships and connections with people that are just completely, have been, have thoroughly enriched my life. And one of which is Tamsin. Tamsin is a multifaceted, multidimensional woman that is passionate about feminine leadership, passionate about venture building, passionate about social impact. I mean, she's just so much to learn from her. And I thought to have her on to share her story and to share tips. So tune in and enjoy. Um, I've been listening to your podcast and they're amazing. And so it's a, a real privilege to be able to have this time to, to connect and to share with people about what I'm up to. Thank you. It's a privilege to have you here. You have a very interesting journey. How did you end up in venture building, female leadership, impact investing? Like, it's so multifaceted. How did you get here? Uh, it's, a great, it's a great question. Um, and I think in everyone's story, there is a golden thread, right? It's just uh, maybe not like a CV that has all the, the kind of linear, you know, career-driven professional stuff. So I'm a, I'm a heart person. And I, uh, my favorite quote is to um, predict the future, we need to create it, actually. And so everything I've done, I think, has been based on a future I'd really like to see. And so that has been my driver rather than climbing any career ladder or developing a particular professional, you know, mindset or a skill set. And I think in the world we live in today, actually, this problem solving approach is becoming so much more relevant, you know. Really, mm. amongst amongst um, a lot of different people around the world. So, I mean, I grew up in Australia. My dad was a, a, a reverend and would read to me, you know, Martin Luther King's sermons and would talk about Gandhi. And so I was in like suburban Australia, but really thinking a lot about what it is to lead, which is such a relevant, mm. kind of, I think, on everyone's minds, you know, with COVID and political issues, um, all kinds of protests in all kinds of ways, you know, what is the place where we find solutions, what kind of um, attitudes and things. So I, I went into politics uh, as a political advisor at 23, knew, uh, thought I knew everything, knew nothing, you know, and worked for a governor. <laughs> I think in that mindset, you start to realise that when you pull different people from different sectors together, it is easier than you think to create something um, and a new future and different kinds of ideas. But more recently, my my love and my focus has been on building in the area of women's leadership. And so um, some of the things I've been really focusing on more recently has been in that area of women on boards, you know, women in the venture space, you know, who's investing in women, and, and like what is it to lead as a woman? Like do we lead? Are we, you know, and for, in my mind, there is this emerging form of leadership that women are innately really good at. So mm. that gives you a, a taste of my my story, which traverses, 
you know, Australia, London, South Africa, Kenya, really all over. Amazing. So I just want to unpack the conversation on feminine leadership. So what are, you know, from a lot of your reading around this topic and thought leadership on it, what are the feminine traits of leadership and the benefits of women kind of tapping into those authentic leadership traits? Yeah, well, um, I mean, the reason I'm interested in this is because when uh, we were setting up the Boardroom Africa, which is an initiative that now has a thousand women across 50, 50 countries um, who are available for board roles, if anyone's listening and they're looking for an amazing uh, woman, um, we have them in spades and so we can be helpful to come. Amazing. When I was speaking with women who are at the top of their tree, really, you know, they were sitting on boards, they were running companies or running businesses. When I got them in a quiet moment and said, if you could do anything you wanted to do, what would you do? Because a board position can be an experimental role. It can take you to all kinds of places, right? And um, a lot of these women told me that they just felt like they're a bit of an imposter. You know, I'm like, how can you possibly be an imposter? I mean, you are the top, top, top mm. sector. And it kind of made me really wonder and felt, I feel a bit sad, to be honest, because we kind of feel like maybe when we get there, we'll feel okay. And so I had this idea that maybe the imposter syndrome and all these kinds of things that women are feeling of not being able to be themselves kind of disappeared when you're running something. And actually I realized, no, you know, it still really exists. And it made me really curious. I was like, well, if you feel like you need to give up all of your favorite traits in order to lead in a boardroom with a bunch of primarily men, but men are wonderful. I'm not at all against men. I, I have a husband, I have many friends, you know, I work with men, but um, quite often the, the way of operating in those spaces is very transactional. And these women were mm -hmm. saying, I want to be more collective. I want to be more. And so I started to think, well, is there a way of leading that is more collective, more collaborative, more long-term? And is this a women thing? Like, is this an anyone thing? And so um, as all of us do, you know, we become practitioner researchers. We go out there into our, <laughs> in our networks and we say, like, what do you guys think about this? And so I was a member of a club in London called The Conduit, which is for impact leaders, so foundations, companies, individuals, people running charities, very nice, beautiful club in Mayfair with lots of great spaces. But the most incredible thing is the people. And I said to them, can I host women's dinners to ask these questions and they said yes and the women's leadership network was born so over the last you know 18 months I've hosted dinners with nearly 400 women wow. and asked these questions like what is it for you to lead how does it feel to lead why would we feel this way and and I've also been doing the research as you said and what we what we always say is we want to be collaborative we want leaders that are collaborative we want all of these different dimensions to be more holistic and then we try and name leaders that are like that and we can't. And mm -hmm. while I was doing these dinners, which were beautiful, really um, incredible moments of honesty, actually, I was also reading, as you say, the Harvard textbook on leadership theory and practice. <laughs> and what, what is the literature saying? And um, I found a book called Athena, which interviewed, I think, around 65,000 people around the world across, like, multiple countries. And mm -hmm. the question is, is there a feminine way of leading and a masculine way of leading? And actually, a 
at least culturally there is. So we think of certain traits as feminine and certain traits as masculine. And mm. it doesn't mean that women are born with these things, but certainly we're socialized into them. And they're also in a workplace context, often not as embraced as leadership traits, even though we want them, it's kind of hard. So they are collaboration, long-term thinking, care. You know, if you think about Jacinta Ardern, the New Zealand prime minister, mm. identifies this sense of we're in this together. It's okay to be emotional. Emotion is a part of my expression of my intelligence and how I feel. And it gives us insight. Whereas I think most people sitting in boardrooms would be like, yeah, that is not my experience. <laughs> Maybe that gives you a bit of a taste of that, that journey for me. Um, Amazing. Amazing. You said uh, a few things. You said just because you are passionate about female leadership doesn't mean that you're a male bash. And I think that's a very important point to make is that even in the upward mobility of women in business, in society at large, in their homes, male allies are really important in propelling them. Mm. I think what I, what I found in my life particularly is that I wouldn't be where I am without men who backed me completely. When I was a, I mean, who would, who would employ someone as a political advisor at 23, someone that's <laughs> like your potential and I think it gets um, a bit more challenging when you get to the top of the business and it becomes a very competitive, network-driven environment. Things mm. become more challenging. But I tell you, when I talk about my work on this, a lot of my, my, my male friends and you know, senior men in business say, I want that too. Like, where can I tap into? Hmm. Leadership? Where can I tap into? Hmm. And more emotional and more driven by my, all, my whole intelligence not just having to find like five pieces of data all the time to prove something, really thinking through what are the human dimensions. Mm. I think the shift we're seeing is much bigger than women actually, you know, really. So it's like a spectrum. I, I was speaking to a researcher a couple of weeks ago and she was talking about there's a spectrum of leadership styles. So it's like very feminine and very masculine leadership. And really, when we talk about diversity of thoughts, co-creation of best ideas, this whole conversation about propelling women, increasing female leaders, isn't to say that we want to completely bash men or not have men. Actually, male type of leadership is also very important in a business world. We also, women are quite risk averse, but men are more bold right? And they're more likely to pursue new opportunities than women. So it's really, we need each other to bring the best of what we have to the table to build the best businesses we can. And I wanted to just pick up on something you were talking about, imposter syndrome. This researcher was telling me about how a lot of women mistake confidence and competence. So many women are competent, but because they're not confident they think that is an indicator of their lack of competence mm. Mm. it's a really interesting one and I love I love this conversation so much um, so I think that imposter syndrome is discussed in so many different ways but one of the ways I really like to see it is that if we think of ourselves as human beings always experimenting with different ways of being right 
you're a kid, you copy your friends, your big brother, your big sister, you get a little bit older, you start to mimic people in the workplace and you have this whole way of behaving, which is, which is about competence, as you say, right? I'm going to try this. It works for me. I'm now competent. I'm now competent. But mm. we get to a point where we say we know enough. Mm. We do get to that point. We know enough that we don't need to feel like we're mimicking other people to, to test these different versions of ourselves, so to speak, because we're comfortable. Then we move into a learning mindset and that unlocks everything. That unlocks well-being for the leader because they don't have to be the one that knows all the time and they don't need to prove. It unlocks the, the people that work for them because those people are now completely free to come up with any idea, way of doing things, and it all seems within a learning mindset. And in fact, if you look at leadership theory, this is a this is this identity formation piece is really fundamental. So a lot of the leadership programs you see within organizations are about speeding up that phase of 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 learning of of um, testing different ways of being and trying new things and moving into this learning phase. And one of the theories actually that's in this this um, some of the Harvard research is looking at um, how women don't tend to move out of that phase as quickly, and mm-hmm thought is that it's because there's less women to test your way of being with and somehow men are a lot more comfortable testing men and women with women although I'm sure there's a blend women tend to stay in that test phase a lot longer hmm. and you think why well maybe it's because you know five percent of CEOs women and five percent of men you could think about ways we view ourselves you could look at these traits but I think this, this piece, is, as you saw the person pointed out, is so important to just realize we're doing it. Am I testing my competence or am I moving into a learning modality? Because that requires us to give up parts of our personality too. Because all of a sudden you're not the competent person that knows how to do this particular piece of financial management. You are the essentially the orchestra conductor, you know, that's taking all the... Mm different people and you don't have to prove anymore and that's where we honestly where we get to creativity and that's when boards all of a sudden aren't someone saying tell me what you know tell me what you know and everyone's proving they're like let's sit back let's listen and it becomes a beautiful piece of music you know that's the ultimate thing right um and so my passion is to try and help and work with women to get there because everyone wants to be there right mm. who doesn't want to be there I love 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 the metaphor on the orchestra conductor that's so apt how do women move into that phase of the learning is it an individual journey first before the team and say the board gets there how does this how, how do we move from being stuck in this testing phase to moving into that learning phase? I think that, um, well, you could m- increase the amount of opportunity for testing. So I think women's networks are amazing for that. And I think they're really important. So getting together with women, having conversations, what do you think of this? I've tried this. What are you doing on that? Really like taking that next step. We've all had an experience of being with a group of people that just inspire that, that next level way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, roles, um, there was always kind of a jokey phrase that women would say, like, women don't let women say no to things, you know? <laughs> and so find a friend before you say, I don't think I'm qualified for this. Like, just 
really go through that process of understanding and sharing. But there is a deeper personal journey, you know, to say, what is it? Don't want to, I don't want to be led by the fear of not being competent. I want to be led by what is driving me for my life, my purpose, my idea. Mm -hmm. And that for me is a set of exercises that we can do in our daily life to come Mm -hmm. back to who we are and to go back into those conversations with a few more tools and mindsets to kind of move out of that. So I think there is a personal journey. Um, And one of the things I'm actually doing kind of behind the scenes, but I'm really excited about is building a set of tools for women specifically. So what could you do every day in terms of your practice? How could you really be thinking about these kind of topics and issues? Because there's not a lot out there that's specific to women in this area. And certainly the leadership literature, there are lots Mm. of people in there, but you won't find it in your major business schools, you know, Mm. not that we need it. So I think it's emerging actually with some beautiful academics here and there doing this work and programs, but I think we do a lot more and, I think women's leadership, the style of leadership that women are kind of giving up at the top mm. ability to prove is actually what we need for the world we live in. You know? And so also just getting that message and letting it sink in. Yeah. If I'm, a leader, if I'm a caring leader, if I think about the long-term impacts of the business or the organization I'm in and I, and I give a thought to all of the people in the room, yeah. ask more innovation and ideas, that is a good way of leading, no matter what anyone else says. And I'm able to go that way and stand up and say that. And so I, I think that for me is one of my passions is just saying this is the, the leadership of the future and but let's just explore it, make it mm. words, build it into business, um, you know, initiatives and leadership programs. Mm. Awesome. And specifically looking at Africa, um, we often say that Africa has the highest rate of female entrepreneurship, but a lot of the female founded businesses are, they lag behind the male counterparts in terms of size, revenue, profitability, and what have you. And a huge reason is what you kind of alluded to at the start, which was access to capital, startup capital, expansion capital. Um, can, we, can you just tell us more on your thoughts on how we can actually close this gap and a bit of your work in this space? Yeah, it's such a big topic you've raised. I'm sure uh, a lot of women listening will be like, yeah, that's an issue for me too. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that we're seeing quite a lot in that shifting in that area. So there's been a recent kind of global report in emerging markets done by the IFC on the private equity industry and how we move more women into the investment lead roles. Because we've mm. seen that when there are women leading on that, there are more women that are invested in. Mm. And argue that that's because they know more women. It's entirely possible. It could be because they understand those kind of business models. But we do need a more diverse investor base that people mm. are with, that's sure. I think then it really goes into what are we seeing in each sector, you know, because every sector has its own area of focus. I also know a lot of women who are fund managers who are trying to raise capital and they've really, they've been struggling, but we have really new interesting vehicles like Alethea Identity. I don't know if you're familiar with, with we recently raised money from DFIs to invest in women. So it's a fund that is women led and invest in women. And so I'm, I'm seeing some movement, but I think we need to do more in that area. I think for women, 
I wouldn't say to women entrepreneurs, they need to do anything differently. They just need to keep pushing. Yeah. That have made it to those CEO roles are incredible and they've often done it against the odds. So I think actually the capital that needs to change their approach and mindset to mm. defining them, you know, with the boardroom Africa, we set it up because we said, you know, there are women and everyone's saying there are no women for boards. As soon as we created a platform for women, you know, they were there. There was no, there was no uh, gap that we thought that was there. It was just that it wasn't a platform that suited people. The last two, two months I've been interviewing women entrepreneurs actually in, in Zambia and Kenya mm. who have been focused particularly on climate change in the agri-processing space and um, hearing from them some of their challenges. And these are businesses that are, some of them are, you know, smaller, some of them are a million revenue, eight million revenue. So, you know, it's you know, decent sized businesses. And what's so interesting about these women and why we're really keen to be talking with them is that they are not just creating a business. They are protecting the soil. They are mm. investing in a supply chain that is women oriented, that is thinking mm. the next hundred years, you know, not the next seven, you know, cycles of agriculture. And so, for me, there is a different way of leading that, again, once it's acknowledged, investors won't say, we don't know how to invest in that. So, yeah, they'll go, okay, you're actually solving all the problems at once that we are trying to solve in, like, little silos all over mm-hmm. the world. So we need to think about how to make this a sustainable proposition for you so you can expand what you're doing, you know? Um, so, mm, sorry, carry on. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was just going to pick up on that. Even like in family businesses, when we see female, more female leaders, the business tends to think more about sustainability or philanthropic activities, impact investing. So this style of leadership definitely has huge benefits to the creation of solutions for our world. And you know, just thinking about the next generation of business leaders that we're seeing challenges that our parents' generation didn't have to deal with in the business field, technological disruption, climate change, you know, income inequalities all over the world. And I just wanted to, you know, have your view on what ways can next gens push for impact and sustainability and play their part in improving this world? What a great question. And um, what an inspiring group of people to do it too, right? Um, I, I don't know if you've had anyone on your um, your show to talk about this idea of sustainable, um, sorry, stakeholder capitalism. No, I haven't. The idea that came from the CEO of BlackRock, they sent a note to all of their investee businesses and said, you need to think about your stakeholders differently. So if you think about shareholders as being the core stakeholder of a business, this is expanding that idea. And it was presented to the CEO roundtable in the US and Mm. we need to do it, we need to do it. But basically what it means is listen to your stakeholders in a way that isn't just about, you know, creating a product from start to finish. It is like the people on the way, it is the soil, it is the long-term proposition. Mm. That's what stakeholder capitalism is. But when I've done, for example, board training, always get the question, well, how do I deal with that particular group in the face of a like fiscal responsibility for the business. And so there are always these 
these tensions, right? As a business owner, as a leader, as an investor that you always need to be thinking about. So pretending mm. that they're not there because they really are. It is taking this broader perspective and saying, if I believe that my stakeholders are the soil, the, the people, the next 50 years, like shift your time frame, shift your, you know, who your stakeholders are and embed that into what you do. And the solutions come really from that, from that mindset. So what is your purpose as a business and really redefining that? I think that um, the world we're living in also is not really built around like one person, right? Mm-hmm. Like the movements are all, no one even knows who's leading them. You know, there's just yep. up and saying, this is what I need. And so we know that you can't just run an institution top down. Mm. And proposition. You need to run it as a group of individuals who are supporting your vision. And then you're going to build a really sustainable long-term business, right? That serves all of these interests. It is a different way of thinking. Mm. But I don't think it's a, a, an either-or question anymore. I wonder sometimes, Nikkei, when I see all of these different board groups getting together to like talk about these strategic topics from big business, I'm not sure those systems are going to last. Hmm. I get more interested when I see business owners with assets they can manage themselves and, and really pull the levers on because they're you know, completely owning those assets. When they get together and say, we want to make a shift, you know, the systems are of the size they can right but if you see these big corporate names uh, i like what they're doing but i Mm -hmm. think it's actually going to come from the entrepreneurs you know i really do amazing amazing and just you know following up on that what role do you see the impact space having on changing the solutions you know changing these problems in the world and how can families um, business families get more involved in deploying capital towards being solutionaries? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I actually have a, a call tomorrow with the woman who founded the Giving Pledge and she's doing amazing work with an organisation called Co-Impact that um, is bringing together lots of different family offices to invest in strategic ways. I think there's a lot of innovation in that area. One of the things, you know, I'm really excited about is what we're seeing in terms of this leadership as being a big investment strategy. So not just investing in, you know, training or a specific initiative, but saying here are the people that have the vision and the ideas, let's back them. Mm. To emerge within the area of climate change or Mm. the the kinds of, you know, philanthropic areas. I think that's really important. But for me, that's new. You know, we've always been about, Let's fund one particular thing happening or one. And now we're saying the world doesn't work like that anymore. If we back the people with the ideas and don't push them into a certain job but allow them to be creatively solving these problems, that's where we're going to see shifts. You know, one of the initiatives I'm working on at the moment with some colleagues is called the Rallying Cry. And um, it's focused on, on women's leadership. You know, these women who are leading in the climate space. And we're having these discussions right now. We're saying, well, do we support them, you know, in certain initiatives? And we're like, we just need to back them. You know, they are the backbone of the solutions. Their ideas are the ideas. They're not being included in the global forums, like, you know, the COP discussions, but they should be because who else has got a holistic response to this, actually? And so I think a lot of it is about thinking about where the shifts need to happen, backing the people that are in those areas who are doing it generally pretty tough, mm. you know, 
kind of scrounge together this and that, but actually backing them in a sustainable way to create some shifts, you know, within their organizations and industries. And I, I am so heartened by that kind of funding, which I'm seeing coming more in the last few years. I think it's really powerful. It's amazing. My, my last question for you, very random question. You do a lot. How do you balance it all? <laughs> You've got so many projects and, you know, initiatives that you've built how do you balance it all you sound like my husband um <laughs> but he's always like I don't think I said what do you think should I do it and he's like you're not going to listen to me anyway <laughs> um I have, a, I have a three-year-old who I love dearly and I spend time with every day and she is a huge priority for me and my relationship mm. priority and my friends and to be frank, I wouldn't survive without them. You know, mm. there was a moment in my life where I forgot my body. <laughs> you know, I just was running and I got burnt out and I, I'm not going to do that again. So I, I do um, somatic pra- practices, so body-based practices. So whether that be, you know, dancing or meditation or reading like mythology or things that are just really creatively helping me to find my place in my body and in the world, it's mm. really People don't talk about it, you know, yoga. But actually we're seeing a real shift where we're we're understanding our limitations in the same way. We're understanding Mm -hmm. planetary limitations. We're understanding our physical limitations. And so that's really, really important to me. And I only do things that I believe in. And I tell you how that takes away when you're not having to fight with yourself about things. Um, But that does mean that, my projects evolve and change. Mm. I shouldn't be hanging on to things, you know, mm. about letting the right people run things, moving through our life and just doing, you know, having the input that we need to have. So um, I've learned the hard way. And now I think I have got quite a good balance. Okay. That's incredible. I love it. You're driven by a higher purpose, really. And you're very intentional about ensuring that you're feeding your attention to the things that are of importance to you. You're not sacrificing your career or your entrepreneurial success. You're not sacrificing connections, rather, your family, your body, your mind for entrepreneurial success. And it is a very important conversation that in the entrepreneurial world, we've completely neglected. And the rhetoric in the media is, you know, um, hustle, 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 beast it, beast it, beast it. Profit is elevated on this throne and whatever you have to do to get that profit, sacrifice your body, your family, your anything. And I just, I just love what you stand for. And yeah, it's very inspirational. Oh, thank you, Nikkei. Can I just say one last thing? Do we have a, a moment to do that? Yeah, of course. I, I am really working specifically with a couple of organizations, um, on practices for people to remain connected and so one is a master's in business empathy that's happening in Australia and um and also with the Argonauts who I know you're also familiar with yes what are the practices we need to build into our life to stay connected to who we are and Mm. there'll be a lot a lot more on that from me and that's my heart space and you know if we if we're in this work we've got to do it in a way that is healthy and sustainable otherwise how can we expect anybody else to or to do it with the planet so Hmm. very basically so maybe um 
as I develop those, I'll share them and then you can provide links to the people watching. Yes, yes, definitely share the links with me. And if anyone wants to reach out to you, how best can they reach you? Uh, they can come through my website. So that's my name, tamsonjones.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Samson. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Huge pleasure and uh, kudos to all you do. It's really incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Where does one start? There are just so many threads of just rich, dense wisdom and inspiration and what have you. Just super duper amazing. I participated in a conference last week on um, African women in family business. And one of the speakers, Madeline Mukunu, was emphatic that the future is female. And I just loved that, you know, Tamsin is so passionate about the art of feminine leadership and kind of a rallying cry to really discover uh, true feminine leadership, not just trying to imitate masculine leadership. That's not to... This is not male bashing. I love men. <laughs> I'm all for inclusivity, but I think a lot of us women do suppress who we are to fit the mold. Love her point about she has a common thread in her life is creating a future she would love to see. And that's so empowering. It's one, a story of liberty. It's a story of agency and it's a story of possibility. So I ask you, how can you create a future you would like to see? Reflect on that. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please share, please subscribe, and please leave a review. Share the love. <laughs> Thank you and take good care. God bless.